0: Hi friends, Uh, the Sermon on the Mount ended in Matthew 7 with this powerful statement. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. What we encounter now in the next two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew is the revelation that Jesus has authority. You can't miss it. He has authority over diseases. He has authority over creation. He has authority over death. He has authority over the forces of evil and over the lives of those who say they want to follow him. He even has the authority to forgive sins and tell people how to be right with God. So one of my favorite genres of books are the the tales of Greek and Norse mythology. I love uh, Roger Lancelin Green, he was a friend of C.S. Lewis and of J.R.R. R. Tolkien, and he wrote some books that tell the tales of Zeus and Poseidon, of Thor and Loki. They are fascinating stories of how people viewed their gods and the character of their gods. One of the themes that comes through in those books is that the gods are fickle. They are selfish. They care very little for humanity or people. In fact, If you consider the broader ancient Near East worldview of Jesus, we see that there's a theme that the gods are malevolent. They are not to be trusted. They might send a plague to crush or punish people. These gods use their power and authority for their own selfish will, pleasure, or desires. As Anabaptist Christians, since the 1500s. One of our core distinctives is that we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. That Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is, what God is like, and the heart of God. Jesus is the revelation of the heart of God. This means that we read the Bible differently than other Christians. We believe that all of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, are to be read through this Christ-centered lens. As one pastor has said it, there has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known that, but now we do. And so any passage that we read in which we counter a revelation of God that that doesn't seem to line up with the light of who God is revealed in Jesus, we say must be reinterpreted in light of the revelation of God in Christ. God with us. Jesus. So here in Matthew 8 and 9, one of the things that we notice is that Jesus always, always uses his power and authority for healing and restoration. There is not a single account in any of the Gospels where God in Jesus uses his power or authority to benefit himself or punish anyone. When Jesus was tempted back in Matthew 4 to protect himself or feed himself, Jesus refused. Jesus never sends a storm to punish people, but he calms the storm. Jesus never uses his power to make someone sick or punish their bodies for offending him or for sinning. Instead, Jesus uses his power and authority only in ways that are consistent with his mercy and compassion. Friends, this is so unlike any authority or power that we have ever seen before. And this is what God is like. This is our clearest picture of how God relates to the world. And I, I think. We need a new word because this word authority or power, it's so different than what we know when we consider power or authority. Instead, it is incredibly compassionate. It is loving. It is healing. It is not self-seeking or punishing or retributive at all. More than anything, what I want us to see in these next two chapters, Matthew 8 and 9, is the way that God's mercy and compassion are put on display for us. And so I want to read just a couple of vignettes from Matthew verses uh, eight or chapters eight to nine, starting with verse one. It begins like this. And now when Jesus had come down from the mountain, a large crowd followed him, a man with skin disease came and kneeled before him and said, Lord, if you want, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him, saying, I do want to become clean. And instantly his skin disease was cleansed. Let's skip to Matthew 8, 16. Here it says, That evening people people brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and he threw the spirits out with just a word. He healed everyone who was sick. This happens so that what Isaiah the prophet said would be fulfilled. He is the one who took our illness and carried away our diseases. Matthew, uh, a little bit later then, Jesus is, encounters these oh man, I deleted my reference oh yes, Matthew chapter 9 now Jesus people bring uh, a paralyzed man lying on a cot to Jesus, he saw their faith and when he, he said to the man who was paralyzed, be encouraged my child, your sins are forgiven and some of the legal experts said among themselves this man is insulting God Matthew 9, 9 to 13. As Jesus continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. As Jesus went down to eat in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. Matthew 9, 16. No one sews a piece of new, unshrunk cloth on old clothes because the patch tears away the cloth and makes a worse tear. No one pours new wineskin into old wineskins. If they did, the wineskins would burst. The wine would spill and the wineskins would be ruined. Instead, people pour new wine into new wineskins so that both are kept safe. And then Matthew 9, the end of the chapter, 35, it says that Jesus traveled among all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. So here we are, with Jesus up on the top of the mountain, and Jesus gives this radical new teaching, a new way of life to live. But what does it mean when you come down from the mountain and are confronted with the realities of a sin? world. Have you ever wondered how the crowd responded to that radical teaching of Jesus? Did he really just say, love your enemies? But but what about the Romans? Uh, Did he really just say, don't judge or you will be judged? How are we supposed to do what the scriptures command us, what God commanded us, remain pure and holy, if we don't judge who is clean and unclean, who is in and who is out? How do you practically live that out? Sure, Jesus, those were some good ideas. Let's see you do that. And then Jesus does. He comes down the mountain and he shows all of us what it is like to live out the Sermon on the Mount. I want to read Matthew 8, 1 uh, again. The story of the healing of this man. It says, Now when Jesus had come down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a man with skin disease came and kneeled before him and said, Lord, if you want, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I do want to become clean. And instantly, the skin disease was cleansed. So when I was a teenager, I had a skin disease. Uh, it started in the corners of my hands, it spread between each of my fingers. It was so itchy, I would scratch and scratch and scratch until they were bleeding. Uh, it spread up my arms into my elbows, into my armpits, to the back of my legs, my stomach, all of my body itched and was red, and I scratched all the time. I have this big scar on my arm here from a biopsy that they took to try and figure out what was going on with my skin. I uh, twice dealt with the shame of being told that I had a Scabies, uh, bugs, and we had to strip all of the clothes out of my uh, room and quarantine them. I had to wash with some special soap and all everywhere to get rid of these bugs that were apparently causing this disease, this pain in my body i remember that at this time my favorite hoodies were ones that either had those little thumb holes i don't know if you remember those hoodies they had you could stick your thumb through them either that or else the cuffs of my hoodie had worn through and had a hole so i could slide my hand and i could cover most of my red and disgusting hands and nobody could see just the the grossness the the pain of of my skin We all want to hide our skin, our our disfigurements, the things that that are are hard to look at. We want to cover them up. We don't want our friends and people to see these things. We hide our disfigurements when there's something wrong with us. So in the ancient world, before modern medicine and science, to explain these things, hygiene and separation were the two crucial ways of maintaining both spiritual and physical health. The leper, the one with skin disease, would be forced not to hide their skin disfigurement, but actually to show them, to reveal them to everyone around them so that people would see that this person is impure, unclean, defiled. So Leviticus 13 says that anyone with a skin disease must wear torn clothes, dishevel their hair, cover their upper lip, and shout, unclean, unclean. The leper was both unclean physically, but also spiritually. The common belief was that the skin disease was a judgment from God and that the sinner was contagious, ritually and physically. People would not touch them. They would not go near them because they didn't want to tarnish their own holiness. They didn't want to be excluded from going to the religious gatherings, to the temple, to worship. They wanted to remain because sin and unholiness were contagious. Sinners were contagious. They could infect your holiness. Of course, the one with skin disease doesn't get that option. They couldn't be part of the corporate worship of God. Understanding this is really important see what happens in these next two chapters. It was believed that to be obedient to God, you had to exclude the leper, the bleeding woman, the Roman, the dead, the tax collector, on and on and on. And what we see is that Jesus is about to break every social and religious boundary and expectation about who is in, who is out who is holy and who is unholy. Jesus does not believe that sin is contagious. He does not believe that impurity will contaminate him. We know from Matthew 8, 5 to 13, that Jesus can heal a sick person simply by saying, go, it will be done for you as you believe. But more often than not, Jesus does not heal with a word. He heals with subversive touch. So Jesus comes down from the mountain. He's met by a sinner, an outcast, a man with skin disease. Picture that scene, Jesus and his disciples walking down uh, through the crowd, making their way through the path down the mountain, and all of a sudden comes this man, a a sinner, one whose clothing is torn, his hair is disheveled, and he's yelling to the crowd, watch out, I'm coming through, unclean, unclean, don't touch me, unclean, stay away, stay away, back away, I am unclean, and he falls before Jesus on his knees. He says, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and he touches the man. How long had it been since that man felt skin on his own skin? How long had it been since someone looked on him with compassion and not judgment? COVID has been hard on us. We know perhaps now more than ever how important people are for our mental health and well-being. Well, here is a man who didn't just have to be socially distant, but was also shunned and judged by everywhere he went for his simply being present. The Hebrew scriptures taught that the moment that Jesus touched the man, Jesus should become unclean. But instead, Jesus subverts it. He touches the man and it is purity and cleanliness and holiness and goodness of God that passes through Jesus and makes this man clean and pure. Let me suggest to you that Jesus is radically redefining what holiness means. Holiness is not separation from sinners. Holiness is compassion and nearness and presence and healing for those who want it. Holiness is contagious. So my heart has been so filled these weeks as as I've been reading these two chapters and sitting with Jesus and his interaction with people. These two chapters are framed in the great mercy and compassion of God. Jesus taught us not to judge people and then he walks down the mountain and goes to the people who were most judged by those who were religious. Jesus teaches us To love our enemies, well, what does that look like? What does it mean to love your enemy or your oppressor? You heal their daughter. Nobody gets it. The legal experts say this man is insulting God. The Pharisees are upset that Jesus eats with sinners. John the Baptist's disciples come and they are confused and shocked. By Jesus and his behavior, those who see themselves as righteous or religious are getting more and more angry with Jesus because doesn't Jesus know that the Bible teaches sin is contagious and you can't go near those people? Then Matthew nine nine to thirteen, Jesus calls the sinner Matthew. He goes to him. He has supper with him and his friends. It is the cultural equivalent of saying. I approve of you, and I am happy to be known as someone who is associated with you and what you do and all of your friends. And again, of course, the Pharisees freak out because no religious or righteous person would dare do this. It is sinful. It is approving of sinful behavior. And Jesus says, look, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This, to me, sounds so similar to what we talked about last week in Matthew 7, about the log or the speck within our own eye. Nobody has clear eyesight. You can't, we all have something in our eye. We all need the mercy of God. If you think that you can judge somebody and call them sick without seeing your own deep need for a doctor, I guarantee that you will miss out on the healing of God. If you see yourself as righteous or healthy, you will miss God's invitation because God calls sinners not righteous people. Jesus responds to the religious gatekeepers and essentially says, yes, look, I know, that's how we used to do it. That is the old way in which we responded to these things of separating and keeping people in and out. But now with me, we are going to do something radically different. Radically different, but not radically new. That's why Jesus quotes Hosea. Hosea predicted the day in which we would be people of mercy, not sacrifice. The day in which people learn to live like Jesus with compassion and mercy. Because mercy triumphs over sacrifice. And so I want to read to you two rather large quotes that come from Rodney Reeves and his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. And this is what he says as he talks about the new wineskin passage. He says, "'Besides, to go back to the old ways of repentance would be like sewing a new patch on an old piece of clothing or trying to put new wine in an old container.'" It would just make things worse. That's what mercy does. It destroys the old ways of dealing with sin. You can't pour mercy into wineskins of judgment. You can't cover the hole in your worn-out jeans of sin management with the fresh patch of God's forgiveness. It was time for new wineskins to hold God's mercy. A new way to get serious about sin. It was time to eat with sinners. A little bit later, he writes To Jesus, showing God's mercy also means eating with the wrong kind of people, knowing the righteous will judge you for it. You know, all you're doing is encouraging bad behavior. These sinners need to repent. Yes, indeed. Freely give away God's mercy and see what happens. Those who think they've earned it won't like it at all. They think God's mercy is wasted on bad people who never learn their lessons. In fact, that's how I know when I'm sharing the limitless mercy of God, when it looks to, righteous, looks to righteous people like I'm encouraging bad behavior, like feasting with a bunch of sinners when they should be fasting, making them get serious about their sin. Yet Jesus won't let us get away with the us-versus-them view of the world. All of us are sick. All of us need a doctor. All of us are sinners. All of us need the mercy. We live in a world in which the first word that comes to mind for most people when they think of Christians is judgmental. We live in a world in which evangelical Christians are known for what they fight against, for their battles to keep things holy, separate, pure, the way they were. I have a suspicion that the majority of white North American evangelicals would not be okay with Jesus. We would be deeply offended by Jesus. We would say things like, this man is insulting God. But you know the kind of movement that I really want to be a part of. I want to be kind of the kind, part of the kind of movement of Jesus that is so radically inclusive and loving and compassionate that everyone else thinks we've lost our way. I want to have the kind of faith that believes that holiness and not sin is contagious. I want to be part of a group of people that loves and shows mercy so well that other churches accuse us of encouraging bad behavior. As I have sat with Matthew 8 and 9, my love for Jesus has been growing exponentially as I soak in these chapters and look at what he is doing in this amazing new way of relating to the world around us that requires a new wineskin because the old ways and the old patterns, they just can't get their heads around. This is what being faithful to God looks like. This way of Jesus is so infectious. Matthew finds the mercy of Jesus infectious. The woman who is healed finds Jesus infectious. The man with skin disease finds Jesus infectious. Friends, Jesus is living out kingdom culture right in front of us. He is showing us what God is like and how God wants us to act. And you know what religious people think? They think that he's a double agent in these chapters, ironically, Religious people accuse Jesus exactly what he told them they were. They say, you are a wolf in sheep's clothing. They say he is demonic, that he is possessed. They accuse him of pretending to love God while actually serving the devil And that kind of accusation should help us understand the level of mercy and boundary crossing that Jesus is living out for us. If your mercy, if my mercy, if our mercy does not offend righteous people, we need to turn the level of mercy up even more and show even more mercy. Evangelical Christianity has been fighting for exclusionary holiness for almost 100 years. And all that fighting has done is exactly what all fighting does. It has created an us versus them where it was never meant to be and was never allowed to be. We are all sinners in need of God's mercy. I wonder if this pandemic is not a good time for us to hit reset on how we act and live as a church. It's time for some new wineskins. Friends, I think it's time for us to try something new. I hear Jesus inviting us to leave our self-appointed role as gatekeepers of who is in and who is out, who is holy and who is unholy. To, to leave who is a sinner and who isn't to the God who sees clearly. To leave behind the purity policing to Jesus. And instead, what if we tried new wineskins, one in which we pour mercy instead of judgment. Instead of teaching people about sin management, we bask in the forgiveness of God and invite others to do the same. What if instead, instead of guarding against the infection of sin, we got serious about sin by eating with sinners and believe that Jesus and holiness are really, really contagious, that Jesus God with us is infectious, Peter, as he wrote to the church that he pastored, he wrote, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love, mercy, covers over a multitude of sins. Most important of all, show deep love for each other. Not each other, just you and me, the ins, not the outs, but all of us in need of the mercy of God. Show deep love for all, for love covers over a multitude of sins. Let that be true.